Welcome to the Risk Roundtable, where claims and litigation management professionals learn strategies to mitigate risk and improve your business's bottom line. Presented by Weber Gallagher, this series delivers industry insights from leading lawyers regarding professional liability, insurance coverage, employment, workers' compensation, general liability, and more. This program should not be considered legal advice. Please consult our attorneys for your specific situation. Thank you for listening, and please visit us at WGLaw.com. Welcome, everyone. My name is Vanessa Mendeleski. I'm an attorney in our Weber Gallagher Bedminster office, and today I'm discussing with Jen Laver from our Mount Laurel office, Abdullah Credits and Pre-Existing Injury. So I guess we'll get started. So Jen, my first question to you is, what is an Abdullah Credit? So an Abdullah Credit is when a following a workers' compensation accident, uh, a employer, what we call as respondents, they're entitled to a credit uh, for prior or non-work-related disability. So specifically, that's NJSA 34-15-12D. And really what it just means is that uh, you're entitled to a credit, specifically an Abdullah credit, if there's a prior loss of function to the body, head, or the organs, so specifically the body part that the claim relates to. So again, it has to be a body part related to the claim and uh, an employer would be entitled to a credit uh, at the time of settlement. It doesn't relieve you of liability with regard to providing treatment. So if you aggravate a pre-existing condition, you, you still are on the hook for treatment, but when it comes to uh, permanency, you would get a credit for that. Uh, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is that the burden of proof is on the employer. So it, it's really important to uh, note that uh, just because there's prior injury and disability doesn't always mean that you're going to get a credit. So knowing what an Abdullah credit is, when can you get a credit? Well, in order to get a credit, it's when you have to prove the functional law. So the section you just quoted mentioned establishing by competent evidence. So you have to look at this is where the investigation comes in. We'll talk later on about the discovery that can be conducted, but right now we're talking about how to prove the functional loss. So competent medical evidence, was there objective testing or objective medical evidence previously that can show that they had a prior functional loss? So if there's really minor treatment in the past or it's so far removed, so say somebody had, somebody's in their 50s now and in their 20s they had a motor vehicle accident with a lumbar sprain and strain only the petitioner's attorney was likely going to push for a small small credit or maybe even no credit at all so you kind of have to look at the investigation well and speaking of that because even if you I, I had a case recently where um, even if it's not just a minor prior injury but uh, an individual had even had surgery if the surgery is so far removed, as you had mentioned, um, we have to prove not only that there was injury, but that there's functional loss. And so if we can't show that there's been any treatment in you know, 20 years, that they had no limitations with workability, no complaints, uh, nothing in the records to support that after that injury and treatment 20 years ago, that they essentially fully recovered, um, we're going to have a hard time approving an Abdullah credit. Now, you know, we all say that if it was a workers' comp injury, you know that you would be, um, you would have paid for it. 
So it, it's not clear cut and you sort of, even if there's a worker's comp award, you still may not get the full credit that was originally paid. Um, and one of the things to keep in mind on the more complicated factor is when it comes to the second injury fund and total last accident, um, we see a lot of times that even if they have prior surgery to the exact same body part that you're discussing, uh, one of the things, you know, with uh, if it's a um, failed back surgery and they had a prior surgery, uh, the second injury fund will try and say that it's still total last accident uh, because the surgery, that last surgery in and of itself is what caused the petitioner to be totaled. So just because you have that prior uh, injury and prior treatment doesn't always mean that you're going to be able to recover or rely on that. True. And what's important is when you do the investigation and discovery, like I mentioned, that we'll talk a little bit later is when you get everything, in addition to having the respondents permanency expert examine the petitioner for this accident and what's their permanent disability for this accident if there's prior injury also make sure that they're aware of that and ask them if any of their current permanent functional loss is pre-existing and if so to what extent because that could help us when we're trying to argue for the Abdullah credit exactly exactly and a lot of the doctors you know especially when the the injuries are so far removed they're hesitant to, to put a specific uh, estimate with regard to pre-existing when they don't have the medical records, but knowing that the medical records may be destroyed, it's really important to sometimes press those experts to come up with an estimate that they think uh, based upon their past experience. You know, it's hard when they have no medical records to which to rely to, um, but, you know, we'll talk about later things that we can do with respect to discovery to help, you know, support that prior Abdullah credit. Now, you mentioned about having the injury so far removed. The question becomes, were they looking at symptomatic versus asymptomatic in order to get the credit? Can you expand on that? Yeah, so one of the problems that we run into is a lot of times we'll see the words degenerative or you'll see um, arthritis, things that we all know, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, and so the problem you run into is when you have a asymptomatic pre-existing condition, uh, you, the likelihood that you're going to get an Abdullah credit is very small uh, because of the fact that if they were asymptomatic, they had no functional loss. So if they had no complaints, no limitations, no issues up to your date of injury, they're what we call asymptomatic. And the court does not allow you, um, and, and the statute that we talked about, it doesn't give you a credit if they were asymptomatic. There has to be that component of uh, prior functional loss, um, whether it be at home or at work or somewhere. And so the problem is without treatment, without any documentation, you can't prove that prior functional loss. Um, so when you have that symptomatic uh, condition, it's easier for you to be able to show, here's all the treatment, here's all the complaints, here's all the limitations. So it's looking up to the, looking up the medicals leading up to the accident to see if there's any mention of this condition for the years leading up to it. 
Um, and it, and it's all relative. It depends on what the condition is. So whether it be if there's an accident or complaints and it's 10 years ago, you know, is that too far removed where they have had no complaints or issues for 10 years? Um, I think you have to look at the big picture and, and use it as a way to negotiate. You may not get um, 100% of the credit you would feel you're entitled to, but you absolutely want to push for an Abdullah credit when there's any documentation with regard to prior um, injuries, treatment, complaints. Um, you also need to keep in mind, as we had said, that um, the degenerative conditions may not meet that burden, um, but it's part of the negotiation. So even if there's cases where the records really don't show anything, but even getting a two and a half or a 5% credit will help you down the line. Um, you wanna try and set it up potentially if there's any possibility of second injury fund uh, claim down the line. You know that they may end up having a total knee replacement or a total shoulder replacement. So you wanna try and set it up for the fund. So you may wanna pay an overall permanency number that's higher, but get that credit even um, though there's no medical treatment. So council may be, all, may be willing to negotiate with you um, in those types of situations. So you just have to look at the big picture and see when it's necessary to push for that Abdullah credit and, and when it's not and when you can push for it. Um, and, and as you said before, you have to ask the experts. Um, when, when we're corresponding with our experts, we always ask them about, uh, especially when we know that there's pre-existing disability, we ask them to assign a percentage of disability related to that. So it's really important that you provide your expert with a complete picture and history. And, and if there is that prior that you get and push for that information. So, you know, is there anything that you've had any cases that have been unusual when it comes to um, pre-existing conditions? had one recently, like you said, where we just got like a two and a half credit for pre-existing, but we were able to get his PCP records and he did make some complaints of like low back, it was low back case, low back pain issues about a couple of years before our accident. There really mm -hmm. weren't any diagnostic studies. He had maybe like uh, a month or two of physical therapy that his PCP sent him for, primary care physician. But I was able to kind of argue for a, at least a two and a half credit because again, as you said, Sometimes we have these, what I like to call frequent flyers. So if we know they're probably gonna be working for the insured for some time, or if they're gonna have a new accident, it helps us set up for a potential fund at some point down the line, if we know that they're probably gonna be total last acts or make a claim for total last accident, but we know there's probably fundability if they have all these priors and we can help along the way with the credits. Right, and, and one of the things to keep in mind, um, just because they've had prior um, accidents doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get an Abdullah credit unless the body parts actually relate to each other. Um, now, there is an argument, let's say the person had a um, shoulder injury and now they have a cervical injury and there were complaints before of pain from the shoulder going into the neck. Um, we see that a lot. Or uh, when you have a hip and a back, you see some overlapping complaints. So it's important to even, even if the body part isn't specifically the same, to look at the medical records to see if there's any complaints of pain in, in similar areas. Uh, so keep that in mind, even if there's not necessarily treatment um, to that specific area, if the complaints are similar, you could still use that as a basis. 
And that's where good record reviews come in and taking the time to go through thoroughly all of the medical records because you you need to pay attention when you think in a situation like that, there might be some pre-existing, go through everything. And as you said, look to see if it's a shoulder, was there something previously about pain in the same area, that'll help us argue for credits if possible. I know before we were talking about discovery and um, that that's going to be something that's important with regard to an Abdullah credit, what type of discovery uh, should you do or how do you go about getting this Abdullah credit? Well, the biggest thing is the primary care physician records. We want to look into those to see again if they've had any complaints leading up in the months leading up to the accident or in the couple of years before to argue for the credit. And I don't know about you, but I've had some petitions attorney claim that we're going on fishing expeditions when we're trying to get these records. So we need to kind of thoroughly review to see what can we latch on to to file a motion to compel for these records, because I have to file sometimes motions to compel to get these records. How about you, Jen? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that you need to look at is um, if there's a mention of degenerative conditions, a lot of times that in and of itself, we can argue that that's a basis. And you can also ask the treating doctors to say, you know, you're saying this is degenerative. Um, would you like the PCP records? Uh, you know, are the, do the PCP records, would they be helpful for you to review? Because that also is something that if they, they may have not looked at all the information uh, of this individual, and it's really important for them to get a, a complete picture. Are we always entitled to it? Uh, no. Discovery and workers' comp is limited and you have to have a, a legitimate basis. You can't just go for all you know, the PCP records just because you want them. Um, but I know uh, one of the things that you can think about is uh, doing a search pro um, check. So can, can you give a little bit of detail about what a search pro check is? Sure. That's where a review of all facilities within certain miles usually of where the person lives is done. So it'll go through any hospitals they might've been to, not just the authorized treatment, but prior treatment over a number of years. It depends how far out the uh, investigator does a search pro. There's uh, urgent care records, pharmacy records, uh, neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists. It goes through a, a bunch of different kind of physicians that could, could see individuals. If it's an orthopedic injury, I would say focus on orthopedic injuries and don't look for psych records because that would be like considered a, a fishing expedition by most petitioner's attorney. So if you get the search pro and you find that these there's a hit for an emergency room record three months before the work accident, you can ask petitioner's attorney to have petitioner sign a HIPAA to get those records. Or maybe if there's urgent care visits, you, you can look at that to see was there complaints for this particular body part or was it something that's unrelated? If it's unrelated, as you mentioned before, we can't get the credit or anything like that. The other thing it tells you is uh, facilities where they've had diagnostic studies done previously. So you have to kind of see, have they had any diagnostic studies done on that particular body part? And I know what I like to do is when I'm reviewing MRIs or MRI reports, I like to see on those where it says comparison and if it has a comparison to uh, another, a different date years before an MRI or cervi uh, like cervical MRI or cervical x-ray or something, if it's cervical spine, I'll ask petitioner's attorney, have petitioner sign a HIPAA to get that prior study, have petitioner identify the treaters who previously, you know, authorize that MRI. Because again, 
we want to see what's there. Is it more than degenerative? Did they go to an orthopedist and were they diagnosed with prior herniations or bulges or something like that? Well, and I think it's a great idea that you said about looking at um, whether there's any comparison, but not only that, I've had it where the doctor who ordered the MRI isn't the doctor who we thought. And there's a doctor who we didn't even know about because they're the ones that ordered the diagnostic study. So I think really, really looking not only at what the reports say, but who ordered it. And like you said, the comparison, it, it really, there's things that you find out that you didn't really realize in advance. And, and while we know that most of these, um, in, in, most of the employees are hopefully truthful and honest when it comes to their disclosure about these pre-existing, uh, there are some people that are not truthful and honest. And so it, it, you really have to just, you have to be an investigator when you're reviewing these medicals especially when there's a cause for concern or a thought that there's pre-existing disability. I recently had a case where we're on a re-opener and the authorized MRI after the re-opener makes mention of comparison to an MRI five years before the original work accident, which it doesn't look like was known at the time of the original work accident or treatment. So that needs to be investigated too to, to see what was there? Should we have gotten a credit previously? Does that help us, you know, it, it, with our settlement negotiations on, on this claim? Because the, the claim I'm talking about right now is it potentially could be a total claim. So I want to do as much investigation as I can to, to bring in the fund. Because if we didn't, if we had this prior record, we might have gotten a credit, which would help build for fundability. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing it now because I need to figure out if I could bring in the fund because it, it is likely a total accident. Well, and the other issue is petitioner's failure to disclose. So when you have a compensable injury, um, the, the court may not agree to just outright um, dismiss the case and, and proving fraud in New Jersey, as we all know, is, is a difficult task to undertake, but you can use it as a negotiation tactic if you can't push that fraud and a dismissal. You could get a reduced section 20. You could get, as you said, it, it's a basis for you to get a different type of settlement than you may otherwise have gotten um, because the, there's clear documentation that the petitioner uh, wasn't truthful. Um, whether it rises to the level of fraud isn't always clear, um, but it, it still gives you a basis to push for uh, you know, a section 20 in many instances. So. Uh, and what about um, when you're going through one of the things that I see all the time is um, physical therapy records. Do you find that they show information that you may not otherwise have known? Sometimes they do. Sometimes the petitioners are a bit more truthful and honest with their physical therapist talking about how maybe they had prior chiropractic treatment or prior physical therapy at another facility years ago and this worked for them or this didn't work for them. So that helps us with the basis to look into other prior records for treatment. So a lot of the times the treating doctors will ask, have you had any prior injuries? Have you treated with any chiropractors? Have you had any prior physical therapy? But if they don't tell the treating doctors and they tell the therapist, that helps us to investigate potential priors for the Abdullah credit. Yeah. And one of the things that I also, um, you know, intertwined with this, but not necessarily related to the Abdullah credit. When you have a individual who has a prior injury and prior treatment, and they then have a compensable work accident, um, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is allowing ongoing treatment with that prior 
doctor um, because of the fact that yes, that doctor is the best person to determine whether there's a change, but they a lot of times feel a um, a relationship with the petitioner that because the relationship started in a non-work related situation that the doctors aren't as willing to um, provide you with updates on medical treatment, provide you really with uh, what's going on, differentiating between the pre-existing and the current accident. So a lot of times getting that individual away from the original treating doctor for that prior accident or injury in the treatment, um, you get a new set of eyes. Yes, it's not always um, beneficial for you to be able to have, you know, that doctor saw them before um, and after that, that original treatment. Um, but I think that the relationship part of it is a little bit of a concern for me. I, I, have you had that situation? What are your thoughts? I haven't had that situation, but as, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, in New Jersey, the respondent gets to control the treatment. So if you have a treater who has a relationship and a rapport built with the, the injured worker from treating them before the work accident, they may feel more sympathetic to them, more willing to give them more physical therapy or injections or, or something like that that might not be needed and necessary because of the work accident. So they might just treat and treat and treat. And in that case, you're increasing the cost to the file for medical treatment. So it'd be better in a situation like that to get them to a, a, a respondent doctor that can treat them and figure out exactly what's going on with them and not be so sympathetic to them. Yeah. And one of the things that I find with um, Abdullah credits that it's really frustrating under the rules of uh, discovery and with we talk about HIPAAs. Um, with respect to workers' compensation cases, a HIPAA is not required. Um, but we all know that many of the medical providers, uh, I guess in essence to cover them, are requiring HIPAAs even for work-related cases. So it, it's a process that is frustrating for us because it delays the cases and there's certain providers that take you know, they may have their specialized HIPAA that we have to complete. So even though we have a signed HIPAA, they, they say, nope, we're not taking that. And they have a signed HIPAA. You know, I had one just recently where their, their release was valid for six months. We sent the release to the doctor. They took so long in responding that when we reached out to them again and again and again, they finally responded and said, oh, well, the six months has expired. Well, yeah, that's because you didn't do your job. Um, so it, it, it's sometimes frustrating, but I always recommend just be patient um, because really, it, if the provider is lazy, that doesn't mean that there's nothing there. And it's always best to just completely investigate it. So what are your thoughts, Vanessa? I have the same problems sometimes. And actually what my paralegal has started to do for me is anytime we know from a provider that they have a specific HIPAA, she'll make a note of it and save it. So say right. we have this hospital that requires this specific HIPAA. Anytime in the future where it's, a, even if it's a different injured worker and we know this hospital requires the HIPAA, we'll send the specific HIPAA to petitioner's attorney for the petitioner to sign. So we're not wasting that time right. and prolonging the case, but it, it, there has to be patience when we're doing the investigation on this because the more we can investigate, the more it can help us with building the Abdullah credit. 
And when you're one of the things that um, for a lot of our clients that I know we have, you know, adjusters that may be listening, but we also have our, our clients, the employers that are listening. Um, I feel that they can help with respect to their defense in um, is there a medical evaluation before they begin employment? Um, is there a documentation that they fill out post injury that talks about prior accidents? It asks for the name of their PCP. Um, you know, as long as you're not asking for specific disclosure of medical information um, that you wouldn't otherwise be entitled to, you really need to um, help yourself out in, in the investigation. So as part of your accident report, you know, having it reviewed um, with us, but also with your employment attorney and making sure, you know, what questions can you ask uh, that potentially would help you with respect to the defense. So, you know, getting the information on the PCP, the name, because how many times do I get told that they don't have a PCP? And then based upon medical records that I get or investigation, I find out that they do have a PCP. So, uh, or, or they go to a clinic and they're like, oh, well, that's not a PCP. Well, no, you're going to a, a clinic, that's the same thing. So the employers can really help themselves out by uh, having specific, whether it's a uh, pre-employment uh, questionnaire and making sure that you provide that to the carrier and the attorney, um, but also having a great accident report that asks certain questions with regard to prior injuries or PCP information. Um, yeah, and with the the prior like pre pre-employment physical or form filled out they can possibly also include in there have you had any history of prior surgeries because right. there, i don't know how many times i go into a, a case it seems like it's a very clear-cut vanilla case later on we find out they had a prior knee surgery or prior lumbar surgery or something like that but that's only from after reviewing all the medical records if we have the employer upfront able to ask those questions on the pre-employment forms and that's given to to us when we're doing the investigation on a claim it helps us so then we know right off the bat okay there was a prior surgery this triggers us to do the search pros to see where that might have been again like we talked earlier it could be something that was 20 years prior but it's always something worth investigating because we want to try and decrease the exposure Right. With the argument for the Abdullah credit. Well, and you also have the ability to, you know, sometimes uh, when you're looking at it, they, there may be leaves that an individual has taken. And while you're, you're not necessarily entitled to the information as to what specifically the, the leave related to, there's doctor name information and certain information that may be in the uh, FMLA document uh, that you're entitled to review um, and that's something you should take a look at, uh, whether you actually need to provide it, you know, take a look at it, see if there's anything in there um, th that'll be helpful. But with occupational exposure claims in particular, I usually ask the employer for a copy of the personnel file. So I'll see if they've had anything FMLA wise in there. So that then triggers me to consider, did they have anything you know, in the past before they, you know, during this, this period of exposure that we can look into it, what, who was the treater, if we could find that out. And again, help on those. The occupational claims are different than regular specific accident claims with Abdullah credits, but it always helps in those types of cases too. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, you know, I, I have in certain instances where I don't want an Abdullah credit. 
where, where I may be entitled to it. So I, an example would be person had a fractured leg and then they go and have a knee injury and they have arthroscopic surgery. Well, the arthroscopic surgery to the knee has nothing to do with a fractured leg. And while yes, they're both the leg, you're gonna increase your exposure significantly by taking an Abdullah credit. And so what you in that instance may wanna do is just resolve the award and the injury with respect to the, let's say it was a meniscal tear in the surgery that took place. But you would note that this had no impact or uh, bearing with regard to the fractured leg. So yes, down the line, if there was a second injury fund, you wouldn't want to ignore it, but you don't necessarily want an Abdullah credit. So even though it's the same body part, there are times where your exposure would potentially double by taking that Abdullah credit. Um, and a lot of times you may be willing to take a lower Abdullah credit. So we talked about a sprain and strain. You know, you may be paying for a sprain and strain if this was a work-related accident, seven and a half percent, ten percent for a sprain and strain, depending upon the treatment. But if this, if that sprain and strain was a prior accident and you have a new sprain or strain, and again, treatment is limited to physical therapy and medication, you're not going to get that seven and a half or ten percent credit. Um, you you may get no credit because they the argument is that that sprain and strain completely resolved, or you may only get a two and a half percent credit because the overall award, you still want to keep it in the realm of reality. Um, so you want to keep it at that seven and a half or 10%. So, you know, sometimes you have to be practical when you're evaluating it. And that also works against us in many instances. You know, I, I had a, a few cases where uh, it's a new injury and the prior award from the workers' compensation system for a, a prior accident was so high that I'm looking at an overall award that is just uh, not, not reasonable based upon um, what the treatment has been, the petitioner being back to work full duty, no restrictions. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a problem sometimes to where you're automatically sitting at such a high number. So you just have to look at the big picture and see if there's anything you can do to minimize your, your exposure when you're evaluating for an Abdullah credit. It's all about, as you said, looking at everything to see about evaluation for the Abdullah credit because it's what's the best strategy to minimize or keep exposure at a reasonable amount for our clients so they're not overpaying on a simple sprain and strain or simple injury. Right. And I think it's important. You just, you have to do the discovery you have to understand that sometimes the discovery is limited, but you want to evaluate um, what you can. Um, and, and keep in mind, sometimes it's extraneous. So if you have a minor injury, you don't need to do all that discovery because it's not going to change your overall exposure. Um, so it, it would only increase it. So a lot of times, and it, depending upon the injury and treatment, you may not need it. Um, you have to look at a case-by-case -case situation and evaluate whether it's necessary or not. You also have to look at the big picture in the future, whether uh, pushing for that Abdullah credit is going to help you long-term. So just, you know, keeping all of those factors in mind. Now, what about if the person's had some minimal treatment after the work accident, and we know that they've had pre-existing injury, but they're essentially back to baseline once they're done treating for the work accident? What can we do in those situations? Yeah, so I think it's important um, when you're looking at 
the MRI. So great example. You have an MRI. Um, the petitioner had treatment. They got discharged and they had a new work accident, an updated MRI, and there's no change in the MRI. Um, you had an injury. They had treatment. The question is, is there permanency? We can use the fact that the MRIs are exactly the same as an argument for a section 20. Uh, do we think that the judge is going to dismiss the case? Likely no, um, but it, it is a possibility. And having that asking, specifically asking your expert or the treating doctor, whether the petitioner returned to baseline, um, that's really important. Uh, the only caveat to that is if you don't have, if it's a asymptomatic pre-existing condition, um, you're going to have a problem with that one. But I, I think that when you have clear prior treatment, especially when you have diagno uh, diagnostics that are exactly the same, that really gives you a, a, a shot at closing out the claim forever, which as we know in New Jersey is the, the goal because it's not always easy. And with section 20s, we can use the percentage. So I spoke with Scott on section 20s, but we mentioned that in a, in a section 20 order, you could put on there the, this represents X amount percent of permanency if you know that the person is probably going to come back later on and maybe file or something like that in, in the future or have a new accident with the same insured because a lot of insureds don't want to do section 20s, even though they're really good, they're full and final and you're not paying any future medical. They don't want to do it if the person is still working for them. Yeah. And I mean, you got, you got to evaluate it. There's a lot of benefits to a section 20 compared to that, but you know, some of the judges will, will allow that some won't, but it, it's definitely a strategy to try. Um, and if you're paying that money, you want to get the value uh, for, for especially a potentially if they're an ongoing employee. So that, definitely something to keep in mind. And even if you don't do that, keep in mind, even if you don't put that language on the section 20 order, all that means is you won't get a dollar for dollar credit. And even if the order says, let's say it's a seven and a half percent, the court isn't necessarily bound by that. Um, they're never bound by that, even if there's a prior court order, um, they could make the argument that the petitioner uh, improved because it had been 10 years since they had that injury and award. So um, just because there, there's an estimate or, or an award uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's binding. So keep that in mind as well. But so um, I think I think we touched on all the issues that we had. Um, I know it's just really important to do the discovery, to do the uh, investigation, to see when you want to use it, when you don't want to use it. And, and that's exactly what we're here for. So if you have any specific questions uh, with regard to Abdullah credits um, and how to use them or investigation, let us know. We're always here to help. Um, Vanessa and I are just thankful for you to listen. And if you have any, uh, any other questions, let us know. But um, keep looking out for all of our podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Risk Roundtable, presented by Weber Gallagher. We hope you join us next time to learn more about mitigating risk to improve your bottom line. Until then, please visit us at wglaw.com.